All right. Dylan, welcome to the Suited for Good podcast. Appreciate you coming out and, uh, and chatting with us. So thanks for coming. Absolutely. I'm, I'm honored to be here. So Well, it's good to have you, man. So, um, you know, on this podcast, we just like to explore the stories of, you know, where people have been and, and their experiences, uh, you know, uh, just, just life in general. And I, mean, I, I, I can start with a couple questions like, where did you grow up? You know, where, where were you born? So I was born in uh, Salt Lake here. Okay. Um, I grew up in a small town called Tooele. Most oh, okay. people call it Tule. Tule, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, small town Tooele. Yeah. Uh, youngest of four four brothers. Okay. Uh, mom and dad were, were in the picture at this time. Uh huh. Um, so I just remember I just remember in my childhood it, it it wasn't the best childhood, and and what I mean by that is um, I experienced a lot of physical, mental emotional abuse from mom and dad uh, and so um Tooele, Tooele was a good 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 solid town to grow up in for if you for the family dynamic but my family was really duplicitous they always they always wanted the outside world to see them as doing good and then behind closed doors mom and dad were making bad choices yeah and then it was reflected on on us children so you had you had three older brothers. Three older brothers. So tell me about your older brothers. So that goes Brandon, uh-huh. Michael, and Corey. They're all uh, we're we're, t- we're pretty close in age. Um, Michael and Brandon are two years apart. Corey and Michael are eighteen months apart, and then I'm sixteen months apart from Corey. So wow. fairly fairly close family. Yeah. At, at a young age, we were three of us were in diapers at, at one time. So man, you know, mom. Mom did her best. That's a lot. Yeah, that's mom a did lot. Her best. With, with little, three little kids all in diapers. Like, oh man, I've got, I've got four kids, so, but none of none of my kids were in diapers at the same time. So, yeah. that's a lot, man. Yeah. So I imagine um, being so close together in age, were you guys tight? Or yeah, were you so fighting I, all the time? My kids fight all the time. Just yeah, <laughs> I, of course. Being yeah. the younger brother, I was the picked on one. Yeah. Um, I always, I always felt like growing up that I just wanted to be like my brothers. Hmm. Um, I always had this feeling of, uh, I just wanted to be like them. Anything they did, I would I would mimic them. Um, if they were getting in trouble, I was getting in trouble. If they were hmm. being good, I was being good. And that was just kind of like the routine of, of the daily thing. But four boys, can you imagine? Mom and dad trying to raise four young boys. It was just, obviously you understand. Oh, yeah. It's just uh, a, a lot of mayhem. And when things aren't going right, things aren't going right. But when yeah. things were going good, you know, the camaraderie of my brothers were, were, was, was something that I was really, really, uh, I loved it. Yeah. I really what did you guys it. do together? So I'll get into the, the story because I think it's important that I talk about the family dynamic at a young age before yeah. accountability, before the, yeah. year, the years of eight years old. And, and you know, I, I started this with the, the emu- emotional, physical yeah. Um, yeah, abuse that went on. Yeah, tell me more about so, how you experienced so that. My first memory, there was a lot of good memories, but I'm going to focus on some of the hard memories because it, I think it transitioned my lifestyle that way because of what uh, mom and dad taught me. Before accountability, of course, I'd have sure. choices later in life as we get sure. into that. Um, but my first memory is my dad uh, putting my mom through a plate glass window. Uh, and I'm, I'm about five years old, and I uh, see, and all I can remember is seeing mom screaming seeing a bunch of yelling and seeing seeing the seeing her get thrown through that piece of glass and at five years old um with your other brothers just to, 
crying and, oh. and, and, and yeah, uh, just a horrible thing to experience. And so I'm sitting back and, you know, the ambulance come and I don't remember too much other than looking over at my brothers and seeing them crying. And then I just remember the blood. But this was a regular thing growing up. Five we, years old. Five years old. It was a regular thing seeing mom and dad fight. But, but again, duplicitous, right? I get into the duplicitous part because mom and dad would show up to church with all of us on Sunday and make it look like nothing bad's happening in the family, right? Um, my mom was a closet drunk, so she was drinking, you know, vodka, hiding the vodka from my father. My father was going to work. Uh, later on in, in, in my story, uh, my father has a lot of addiction problems too, so both experiencing with alcoholism, we're both experiencing with uh, other, other behaviors that were consistent with abuse emotional abuse that we witnessed a lot. Um, Therefore, a lot of the time, um, us brothers were just kind of pawned off. I remember uh, being up with my grandparents a lot. Um, We lived in Stansbury Park out in Tooele, and I remember I was about seven years old, and um, mom, mom hired this babysitter that was around the corner, and I think she was about 15 at the time. But she went ahead and abused all of us children, sexually abused us. And uh, it, at that time, at, at seven years old, I didn't think it was wrong. You know, as a, as a young kid, I, I thought it was the normal thing. You know, a, a babysitter taking you in their room, doing whatever they do with you, right? And um, I haven't really been vulnerable with this piece, but I'm starting to get vulnerable with it because I think it has a lot to do with uh, later, later behaviors and later reasons why I, I never wanted to, to bring that up. Um, oh. But a lot of abuse. I, I just remember she would take turns with me and my brothers as, as young kids. And oh, my gosh, man. Yeah. So later on, um, I told my mom. I never told anybody about it for years. And um, I finally told my mom when I was in my, my, maybe my later teens, or maybe it was like close to my adult, about 18, I told her, and she just went hysterical. But I kept that a secret for a very long time. Were you afraid to share? Or you I just, was. Or you just didn't know that it was, like you said, you, well, know, yeah, you didn't I, know it wasn't normal? I think, it, I, I think that it, I felt most of my life that it was normal. And so I went, I went through my life just thinking that just that happens to everybody. And that's not the case. Oh, that's not the case. Definitely Sh- not. Shame on her. Um, so that happened at seven years old or eight years old. Um, I remember this huge intervention, another big fight. I remember all of us kids getting pulled into the living rooms of the Stansbury home and Grandma and Grandpa Gibson came down, which is my father's parents, and then Grandma and Grandpa Clem came down, which is my mother's parents, and there was like this huge family intervention at the time. And what I came to realize later is I'm getting pulled from my family dynamic. It wasn't a healthy dynamic anyway, but I'm getting pulled from my brothers and, get, and, and we're getting separated because they're going through a divorce, and that's what the intervention was. At, at eight years old. At eight years old. And so immediately, you know, my mom raises her voice and says, I want to take my oldest, which is Brandon, and I'm going to take my youngest, which is me. And uh, mind you, she's a raging closet drunk, alcoholic, lost a couple of business uh, due to her alcoholism. And she's tearing me from my father and my two other brothers. And now I'm going into Salt Lake, coming out here to live with her. And it started to get really bad at that point. Um, you know, at the, at the age of eight and above, I, I'm accountable for my actions, but I, uh, 
I blamed a lot of the stuff that I, the separation from my father and my mother. I, I, I used that as the reason to rebel. Um, I started at a very young age telling my mom to F off and you know, you don't have no control over me. You split me from my family. So I'd use always that excuse. I remember any time she would try to tell me something to do, um, I would use that as an excuse and throw it back in her face. Shame on me. Wow. I mean, I, I can't imagine, man. I, um, you know, and even that you've referenced the account age of accountability. I mean, at eight, you're, you're just such a young, you, you don't know. Yeah. Right. You know, you don't know. And, and like, I mean, I know that's a, kind of a cultural thing here in Utah, mm -hmm. uh, you know, referencing probably to the, to the church and getting baptized at eight. And, uh, but I mean, I just eight years old, you just, yeah. you don't know, you know, you, you're, you're, ah, oh man, that's a lot, man. But some of that's, the positive, yeah, yeah, but some of the positive, some of the positive experiences were, you know, I did get baptized today. You know, Grandpa Gibson baptized me. There was a lot of that. Fam they tried to, they tried to come in and show us the family dynamic. Really good Mormons on my dad's side. And then on my mom's side, really, really, really Catholicism ran deep in that, uh -huh. in that family. So yeah. very religious family, you know, spiritual. I'm very spiritual today. Yeah. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is they just wanted to look good and they just didn't know how to be good. Yeah. Which kind of reflects how uh, me and my brothers turned out later on. So you're, so you and your oldest brother get separated from your, mm -hmm. I can't imagine the pain. Oh. I can't imagine even just yeah. the separation. Tell me more about that. I mean, what? Yeah, I, I missed Michael and Corey. Um, I missed my dad. Um, I remember just being alone a lot brother was turning 14 at the time and um, he was experiencing with drugs and I remember he, him going to his first rehab at 15 with cocaine and alcoholism um, so I'm witnessing him be kind of off the rails and I'm just kind of this skater kid that has no direction I'm going to school um, the the neighbor kids and the families are taking me on outings I bet you they felt bad because mom was just like a cocktail waitress and a drunk and she would come home late, and I just I just remember constantly walking in and her being with a new guy and a new guy, and it, you know, I I want to hold her accountable. I don't want to talk bad about my mother, but I do want to hold her accountable because it's important for my story and for the inspiration for other people that I hold her accountable, and also my father, for the things that they've done to me and the things that they put us through that I need to be accountable for that. Wow. Dude, oh, man, you're a skater. You've been through a lot, man. So and I'm you're, just getting you're started. Eight. I'm just you're, getting started. You're eight years old. Yeah. And you're also feeling like you you need to rebel against mom, and mm -hmm. and you're also seeing your older brother get get involved in drugs, and right. And and so tell me, yeah, tell me more. What where, where did you move into? Where where in Salt Lake? So we were living in Cottonwood. Uh -huh. Mom, you know, she was a floral decorator, so she was in the the floral business. She's really really artistic woman. Very very beautiful woman and she was really good when she wasn't drinking and running the business she was very on top of her game so she created this business over in um, right uh, right in Cottonwood area it was called uh, gift basket affairs and what she would do is just all kinds of gift baskets for different different types of things huh. so weddings she would do funerals she would do all them types of things um, very successful when she was running the business but the alcohol would always take over. So I remember moving to Cottonwood, Cottonwood Apartments right off 9th East there, 5400 South. 
mm-hmm. and she started a business in the Ivy Place, which is right across the way. Yeah. And um, it, it was going good for a while. You know, she was just, I just remember going over there and she was constantly working. Like I said, she was always, always working. You know, I never got too much attention. And we were just kind of like mid-class. You know, I, I had food and I had things in the fridge and I had clothes on my back. But there was a lot of experiences that were, you know, looking back, she she was struggling. I just yeah. didn't realize it yeah. at the time. She was struggling. Doing the best she could to She could do the best. She was happen. doing the best she could. You know, I think uh, the older I get, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm in my mid-40s, but, you know, there's so many reasons why people do what they do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even your mom and your dad mentioning, you know, holding them accountable. And, you know, I wonder what their story is and, you know, what, what about their childhood? You know what I mean? Yeah. There's just... I just, the older I get, the more I feel like compassion needs to be, right. compassion w- needs to be what we, the first thing we go to mm-hmm. rather than the judgments that we, you know. Absolutely, I mean. absolutely. And I think, I think it's a, uh, a learned behavior, some of it. But again, once you're accountable and once you're at a certain age, you're making choices on yeah. your own. You gotta make your choices. And so I go, I'm gonna be accountable when I'm starting to make choices. Yeah. yeah. And I'm gonna hold the people around me accountable. So. Yeah. So tell me more. Uh, your mom's running a floral shop. You're yeah. So what what's next in your? I just remember in your adolescence. I just remember missing my brothers. I know they were getting into sports. They were um, really good at wrestling. Um, I wanted. To, I'm just skating. I'm doing this like skater punk kid, right? Yeah. Because I was really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> really good at it. So yeah. I enjoyed it. Um, but I was missing them. I'd go back to my dad's on the weekends and go out to Twill and I would, I would thrive with my brothers because they were on the farm working and as, as young kids, you know, earning yeah. a wage, it was taught to do your chores, get your allowance. They're hanging out with the farm kids and we're just wrestling around and I just really, hmm. really thrived. I wanted to, to experience that with them. And so every time I'd get shipped back to, to, to Salt Lake, I was just kind of kind of this bummed out kid wishing he was around his brothers because my other brother was off doing his thing. He was. 14 or 15 experiencing those drugs and alcohol so he was never around yeah. and when he would come around it was just a it was just a bad a wasn't bad the same brother you knew yeah and then one one time my mom came and picked me up from Tooele and we're coming back into Salt Lake and we're on 54 or 9th 9th East turning apartment apartments right across from the Ivy Place there's an Arby's right there and this was the last straw um, we, we were going on to head on traffic and all I can remember is, you know, I think I'm nine, maybe 10 years old at this time. And I can see the lights coming straight at us. And my mom's to- totally oblivious to the situation. And I just start crying and screaming. And so however, however we managed to get out of the way of that vehicle, we got out of the way of the vehicle. But I went home and I immediately called my father and I told him what happened. Because mom was, she was just a drunk, so she just, recognize it she got us home she didn't realize how close she was to killing us both and I reached out to my father and not even a week later I was getting paid for Tooele back to his house so oh gosh yeah wow so that's got to be I can't even imagine yeah I can't imagine having to make that call going you know you love your mom yeah and having to make that call at nine man these are some big these are some big things for kid for a kid yeah. your age to be dealing with. So, moving back with your dad was that a was that a good I situation? Loved I loved it. Um, even though he was trying to get 
I didn't find out later until later in life that he also experienced with losing the, the family business into a, a Gibson tires. Uh, he suffered from, he didn't suffer, he made the choice of being a, a, a cocaine user and he ran that business to the ground. So mm-hmm. that was between the divorce and the time I was living with my mom that this was going down. This is in a couple of years. A couple of years. Yeah. And so when I'm reaching out to my dad, he's just starting to get his life back together and the kid again i don't know what Corey and michael went through but i'm just telling you what i found out later in life that they didn't have it that good either so so you saw on the weekends hey this is a good vibe yep, yep. i want to be here but then you get there and you know honeymoon's over this honeymoon. is what this is what it is yep. but there was still that uh that sense of direction from dad that i loved he he would get up and he would say you guys need to go to school you need to get good grades or you're going to get grounded do your chores, you get an allowance. You guys need to work in the summertime. So there was that dynamic which helped a lot for, for you know, being in that. Because mom just let me r- run wild. Yeah. And then dad was, you know, pretty strict about what I was making my decisions about. Interesting. You know, being, being if you're going to be in school, do extracurricular activities. Um, so I started thriving in soccer. I took up soccer. And ever since we were little, we played before mom and dad got divorced playing in little league soccer and then um, I found out that that was my my cup of tea so I took up soccer in junior high and Mm. um, later on I'll tell you about Albuquerque State and things like that but amazing um, yeah so dad he was he was really you know he was stern he was getting his life together from what I when I came into the picture it seemed like his life was back together but but hearing about it now and in stories he was, he was still in. He that was struggle. still in the transition yeah. of just stopping using um, cocaine, and he just stopped smoking cigarettes and stopped drinking beer. So, huh. but he gets back uh, drinking beer pretty heavily, and I'll get into that too. So, so junior high, you get into soccer, you're loving it. What, yep. was, what was your high school experience like? High school was good. Um, I got pretty good grades. I graduated with a 3.5. Um, I'll tell you a story that kind of changed the dynamic of my whole. Who I hung out with. So freshman year, high school, I'm in seminary. Again, my grandma and grandpa Gibson are good Mormons. Yeah. They they're trying to get that, you know, that mindset on me, and they're trying to bring me to church, and I'm just not ready. I'm just a, a kid, experiencing with the party kids, right? Yeah. Um, but I I go to seminary. I'm I'm still not partying yet, but maybe just like don't know who I am yet, right? And this day was like the most humiliating day in my life and this changed the direction of my life so in seminary you know how you have a prayer row you sign up and you have the opening prayer and the closing prayer okay well one morning it was a monday morning um, i was the kid that was supposed to say the prayer wasn't there so it landed next on me and i got blindsided by it and um and i was scared of like any type of um public speaking or anything so I get up in front of all my peers and I go to say the prayer and I just stop. Nothing. Sweat running down my back. Just froze. I just froze. I don't know what happened. Hmm. But I was so embarrassed in that moment that I just I just put my head down, put my head down and I just walked to my seat. And I remember Scott Rounds, my good friend, he's really good friend back then, and he says, Now get up there and do it again. Just do it again. And he was just trying to be a good friend like do the hard thing get up there and try again you got this but I was so humiliated and embarrassed I just sat there I didn't say nothing through the whole 
the whole seminary class. Um, the teacher ended up saving me and saying the prayer and like felt bad for me. And I just remember looking around, I just remember all my peers looking at me, like, you know, embarrassed for me or, or wish that I would have got up and did the hard thing and, and try again. But I was a coward and I ran. And so after that moment, um, I thought I can never face these people again. Mm. Never face these people again. Guess what I did the next day? I went straight into my counselor and I changed my, my class to, to ceramics or something like that. Wow. And I immediately started being around, not that crowd, but the crowd that were the skaters and you know, people who were part of this. So mm. changed the whole direction of my life that one moment. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Such a young age and something that, man, had you been able to be coached through it or something. Yeah. I barely learned that concept when I got to the other side academy. Oh. I'll tell you about that in a little bit, but um, that really changed the direction of, of, of who I, I believed I was and the false beliefs and I shamed myself. Mm. And when I'd pass them in the hall, I would just, you know, I just turned, I turned into this party kid because that's where I was accepted. And so I, I, I started smoking weed and I started drinking on the weekends and hanging out with that crowd immediately after that happened. Huh. But I'm still going to school. I'm still getting good grades. I'm still, um, I'm still playing sports, but I'm very duplicitous. And I started way young. I was very sneaky, and you know, I could be in the room with this group of people, and I could be just like them. And then you take me over to the jocks or whoever over here, and I could just be just like them. And then I come over here, and I can act a certain way mm -hmm. just to be like. Guess where I learned it? Mm -hmm. Mom and dad. Yeah. They taught me that at a very young age, taking us to church, and then sure. behind closed doors, they were. So sounds like you were popular. I mean, being able to change friend groups easily. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess you could say that. Um, so tell me more about soccer. You mentioned you took state. Love soccer. That's awesome. Love soccer. So I grew up with the same guys um, playing soccer since the little league, like I mentioned. Uh -huh. And so we just had this crazy dynamic of we just knew how to play. We just knew where everybody was on the field. And mm -hmm. I was always striker, right striker. Uh -huh. So I, I got all the accolades and the goals were scores. Yeah. Um, but it was that was my purpose. You know, I would go to practice. I would I would do. Uh, we'd have morning before school. We would have practice. We would just we just took it to the next level. And at the time, Tula was 4A, so yeah. we were we were facing off with like Woods Cross and yeah. uh, East High, Olympus. Yeah. Olympus. I went to Olympus. Yeah. 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 Probably the same era, yeah. 97, we took state. Yeah, I, gr I graduated 97. Okay, so did I. The same age, man. Yeah, we were the same age. <laughs> uh, there was a guy, uh -huh. I'll tell you the story, there's a guy that, uh, the only person that scored a goal on us was from Olympus. Oh, yeah? And he went and played professional ball with Real. Oh, what so was his name? I can't remember. Oh, huh, I should know that. But Interesting. That, oh, yeah, interesting. he's the only guy that scored on you guys. The huh? only guy that scored. I'll find out his name and huh. I'll let you know. But um, Interesting. Yeah, so he, he scored the only goal. That's but, the only but you guys ended up taking state. Yeah, we, we went That's undefeated awesome. other than Olympus. Other than you guys got us that year. Interesting. So huh. we, we went undefeated that whole year. And that was probably one of the most uh, empowering uh, confidence builders that I've ever had in my life was the soccer game. So. And the team dynamic. Team dynamic. Understanding team. Yeah. Oh. That's, that's why, I mean, I, that's why I love sports. I, was, I played basketball, but I loved, yeah, just the discipline. Discipline. The hard work, yep. you know. Uh, teammates let you down like you got to learn to deal with it and you got to build them back up and mm -hmm. just so many good life skills absolutely from, from sports loved it had a great coach 
had a great uh, assistant coach, Coach Gray and Coach uh, Parrott. That's awesome. When we were when we were senior, so junior. The first hard thing that happened to me in my life. Well, let me go back. The first loss that I had when I was in a sophomore in high school, my my uncle Andy died from um, alcohol and long term heroin use. I didn't know it was it was pushed under the carpet. Um, I remember holding his hand at the at his bedside, and then finding out later that he passed away from long-term use of benzene. His kidney just, his liver and stuff just shut down on him. Um, so and that was the first loss. How old were you? I was 14. So I was I was either a freshman or a, a sophomore in high school. Um, then we take, you know, we go through our, then when I'm a junior, when I'm a junior in high school, this is the really hard thing is, um, I, tell, I told you that my dad stopped drinking and everything. Well, he picked up drinking on the weekends. Remember, my brother was a, going yeah. through his rehabs, right? So dad. Your, your oldest brother. Yeah, my other oldest brother, Brandon. And so my dad and my brother, Brandon, uh, weren't seeing eye to eye at the time. And so my dad was giving him hard feedback. My brother, Brandon, was saying, F you, I'm not going to hear it. And so they had this really um, distant relationship for a long time. Brandon was living in Salt Lake. He was in out of Benchmark Village at the rehab center out in Davis County at the time. And my dad just kind of gave up on him. Mm. And so uh, summer of 96, July 2nd, me and Corey, me and Corey started experiencing with some pretty hard drugs at that time. My middle brother, or the one that's 16 years old. We were over at a friend Danny Fate's house, and we were we were up all night doing uh, a, a drug called Crank. I don't know if you're similar to methamphetamine, huh. but anyway, we were up all night, and um, we go home that morning, and Dad's there, and Dad asks us, "Hey, we need something to eat." And we're like, "No, we're good." And so we take off, and we're just kind of milling around Tooele, right? We're we're all doped up and this type of thing, and, and just partying. We go back to the house about 11 or 12, and we see Brandon my oldest brother with my dad and they're getting along and so Corey and I get in the car and we're like hey this is a good thing we're getting along right and they're out there drinking beers together and we, we go about our business go back to Danny's house about five hours later we get a phone we, we have Danny's mom rolling down to the basement saying hey the Gibson brothers need to go home starting to get paranoid off the off the crank and like oh we're in trouble dad's on to us right so Corey's like Corey's got really quiet Corey's all he's very in, intuitional type guy he can like I don't know he just kind of feels things more than more than me huh. um, and so Danny Fate's mom says tell the Gibson kids they need to go home and I heard it in her voice so we get in the car and Corey starts crying and all I can hear in the background is sirens small town Tooele, just rained, July 2nd, hot day, um, it just got done raining, um, so this all makes sense in a minute, we get to Utah Avenue and Main Street, and Corey's like, looks at me, he's just bawling, he's, he's crying, like, what is wrong with you, dude, are you, you know, your drugs take over, what, what's going on with you, and he looks at me, and he says, dad didn't have his top on the vehicle, he had this little sidekick, 
convertible sidekick, right? Well, Brandon, my dad, and the neighbor, Jesse Martinez, decided to go out to, to a little bar out in Stockton. I didn't know this. Coley just felt it when we got to the light. And so he's like, we're hearing the sirens, everything. And we're, for whatever reason, Corey knew. I didn't. I didn't. It didn't make sense to me until we pull up to the house. And so we pull up to the house, and um, our good friend, Mike Kramer's dad, is in charge of the Tooele County Ambulance. And we see his vehicle outside. And so that's when I lost it. I mean, we put two and two together. So my dad ended up drinking with my brother, taking him to the bar. Martinez survived. Um, I got confronted with the news from Larry, you know, open arms. Uh, the whole family, the whole family was down there, and just, you know, I lost it. Um, that's the second one thing that's happened. The divorce and that. I didn't really understand my my uncle's death until later, and how how significant significant that will be in my life because of my my uncle's death. But my dad's death brother's death I used it as an excuse um, I immediately uh, used that as my excuse to blame blame everything in life on that one that one thing and us brothers did the good the good news is is our us brothers became really tight um, Corey Michael and I became had this like bond after that it was just amazing that was something that I longed for forever was to just be around him and uh, and that that was the that's what got us to live together and, and, and go through this hard thing in life right and I continued to play sports and I continued to do that because we had mentors we had grandpa and grandma this was junior year junior year yeah oh my gosh man wow that is just that's heavy but there was a lot of support in the community. I mean, I, I remember the funeral, and I just remember the whole town came, and I was, I was just taken back by how many people cared about us Gibsons. I didn't really realize that until that moment when I saw all the vehicles and, and the line was just out to the street to my grandma's church, and there was nowhere to park, and then the cemetery was just totally filled, and I just didn't realize how much of an impact that all of us had on the and there was a lot of good, you know, I talk about all the bad things, but there, my parents did a lot of good in the community, too. My dad was yeah. a musician. He, you know, he did a lot of things for the church. They got married in the temple. I mean, there's a lot of things that I don't mention because I want to just be accountable for the, for the things that are happening in my life today and where I'm at today, basically for the inspiration, the whole person change thing that I've went through because of all this. Oh. So tell me, you know, you – you eventually ended up in the other side academy. Mm -hmm. You win state, by the way. And then what happens after high school? And, and you know what? What happens after high school? You graduate. So, so yeah, I, so again, me 3. and my point five. Yeah, me and my yeah. brothers move into each in, in together, and Grandpa's kind of overseeing the scene. And, so know, it's just the three of you in, in the three of us home yeah. together. Yeah, Michael and Corey kind of. How know, old they were, were they? Uh, 18, 19? Yeah, so Corey was a senior. Michael just was having his first baby with uh, a woman that they graduated together. So, yeah. um, I'm a, a junior. Uh-huh. 
and we just continue to. Corey graduated with a 4.0, believe it or not. Wow. I think he graduated with a gold cord, so he's like a 3.9, and then I was a 3.5. Wow. Yeah. Dad Amazing. did that. I give Amazing. credit to Dad. He, you know, he, he pushed that on us. If we didn't do our homework, we would, you know, we would get no alpha. Yeah. And we figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So there was a lot of good life lessons yeah. that, that, that Pops teached us. Yeah. And a lot of good life lessons that Mom taught us, too. Yeah. So senior year, like I said, it was a pretty, pretty cool year because, you know, I went through that hard thing and I started thriving and um, I took soccer really serious. So I kind of just dove into that. Um, but I was a partier on the weekends. Again, I'm duplicitous. I'm very sneaky. I'm, you know, I'm a liar and a manipulator at the same time. But I'm doing some positive. I'm, I'm going yeah. after my, my goal in soccer, but I'm also, you know, falling short in other areas. Yeah. But we take we take state. That was a cool experience. It was at Woods Cross, and um, the the game before state, we were playing playing Ben Lomond, and this and this guy, this defender, we went into double overtime, three to two. We end up winning um, on a shootout. But I took out this defender, and he lands his knee landed right on my on my uh, quad. Yeah. And point of point of where his knee hit. My foot went black before I got any blackness where the wow. point of contact was. Wow. So this is right before our state game, right during graduation. And I'm just like shaming myself that I'm not going to be able to play and be the star. Yeah. Right. And But my slide tackle scored that last goal to get us to the 2-2. Fi- to the, mm. the and then we ended up winning in the shootout. But, um, yeah, I had to do a lot of therapy. I tried it for two weeks between graduation. I could barely walk down the down the thing because my I had this huge hematoma on my leg um, but we go to state I go in for about eight minutes because I'm such a prideful guy I go in for eight minutes because my coach loves wants me in there they called me the horse in high school hmm. because I would never come out I would just yeah. run 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 yeah and uh, it was it, it was a shameful thing because I, I I get out there and I can't and I'm, Could, in, I'm in tears I'm in tears yeah I'm sitting on the sideline watching my brothers and my, my, my team that I grew up with just kick butt, though. That's awesome. But I'm, I'm shaming myself because I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm not good enough. I'm, you know, I should be in there. You know, I was, I was a selfish person. I wanted all the accolades and to be in there to score the goals. But my good friend Brent Sly, one of my best friends, he scored both goals. So awesome. <laughs> he was my left wing. Yeah. So if it had to be. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was a really cool experience. Um, uh, the summer before that, we were playing indoor indoor ball, and Coach Parrott lost his son in a car wreck. Mm. On our way to uh, Woods Cross, we, we we would our record was unbelievable there. I think we went like 300 games and lost 11 wins. So 300 wins, lost 11 games in like a four-year period. Wow! But one time we were driving out, and he ended up getting in a car wreck, and we lost him. And then one of our other team members is still to this day uh, paralyzed. And mentally not capable of doing certain things and so the yeah. senior that senior year we we dedicated our, our whole that whole year to them we had their um, initials on our jersey so that was like that camaraderie that I just yeah. loved and discipline and just doing yeah. it to them and so we won state and I remember looking up in the in the stands and coach Parrott would just have his hands in his his face in his hands and just bawling because hmm. he did it for his son Wow. So tell me what, 
tell me how you got to the other side of cadmium and maybe just good for those who don't know you know what is you know a quick recap of what the other side academy is what they do so yeah and how, how did you get there so the other side academy is amazing I've, I've been with the other side academy for six years uh -huh. um, i'm a program staff member and i'm also um, i help manage i'm a supervisor of the other side builders one of our social enterprises mm -hmm. and the other side academy offers um, it's a place that's you know they can offer people who experience with incarceration long term i'm talking long where they can come for free and build their life, right? Uh, focus on behaviors. Um, the cool thing about the Other Side Academy is we don't, we don't take it. We're not ran by the government, so we don't take any money from the government, and we don't take any money from rich mommy and daddy. So if the student that comes to us um, and we accept them, they have to have a desire to change. One and two, it's totally free, to free of cost. We don't, we're not, we're not bound by any government thing. Stay as long as they need to to fix their lives, and so through after high school, I'm gonna I'm gonna get into this story and then I'll tell you more about the other side academy. So, avid snowboarder, um, 2001, I'm up at Brighton, and I've been snowboarding all through my high school years too. I, I forgot to mention that, but uh, 2001, I hurt my back. I blow my back disc out on a on a rail, a 30 step rail. There it was the first snow of the season. Uh, we have this. We have the the jump and then just a little stomp pad at the end and everything else is bare. Well, I take on this 30 step rail and it's a double, double kink. And I take it on and I, I end up right in the middle going upside down and landed on my back on one of the concrete steps. And I blow my, my two bottom discs out. And um, I could barely walk for like two weeks. And so I go to a doctor, um, this is 2001, I go to a doctor and he prescribes me Oxycontin. And back then, the doctors were pre prescribing everybody Oxycontin. And so when I get Oxycontin, for someone like me, it's a bad, bad, bad thing. Immediately after that, I'm, uh, I'm into heroin like three years later. Mm. Um, and I don't know how far you want me to get into this, but I think it's important to say that the choices I made, the people I hung out with, sum total of why I became the person I became. Mm. That one one incident hurting my back could have been, for anybody else, they could have just went, up, went about their life, listened to the doctor, you know, got healed and went about their business. But for me, I took that Oxycontin and I, and I got addicted to it. And I chose to use that and I chose to use it and I chose to use it until I didn't have any and then I turned to heroin. Mm. I lost everything. So you were you doing well until then? I mean, that's four yeah. years out of high school. Yeah, so right out of where high school. Where were you working? What were you doing for employment? So employment, all, th all through high school, I worked for a company called G Garcia Construction. So ever since I was 12, like I told you, my dad yeah. wanted me to work. Ever since I was 12 in the summers, I'd work for Garcia Construction. Up till I was 18, I was working for him. Um, right out of high school, worked for him. And then I had an opportunity to go work for Four Seasons Sunrooms and start building sunrooms for them and make it, because I was making a strap, like astronomical so they, they, they told me, hey, you need to get your business license, you need to get your contractor's license. So I went through that process and did that. Yeah. Grandma and Grandpa wanted me to go on a mission. They're like, let's go on a mission. Yeah. I'm not ready. Yeah. You know, I'm making bad choices. I'm not yeah. ready to go on a mission. Yeah. And so I started a business. I start my own business. It's called DDG Construction. It's 20, 21 years old. 
Mm. And this is when the accident happened. So I have my business for about three years and I'm, I'm using the, the medications and I'm abusing the medications. I'm drinking, I'm, uh, I'm a very manipulative person and uh, just partying. And so all my, all my uh, revenue from that business would go into my party life. And so fast forward to 24, you know, I lose my business and lose everything. And I failed to mention that at 21, I, I had my first daughter. Mm -hmm. um, again, I was a liar, a cheater, and a manipulator. I was with a, a, a woman named Holly that we're friends today. Love her to death. She's one of my greatest friends today. And uh, I chose to, to impregnate her and, and leave, her in the, leave her to raise Deja alone. And so 20 years, 20 years of addiction and heroin use saw my da daughter in the first the, the first three years of her life and I was just I wasn't there though I was using I was abusing drugs you know Holly wanted me to do something different but you know how, how's anybody gonna tell me what to do right I'm just this is going down going down going down mm. and um, she could see it you know and everybody around me trying to pull me out of it but I was struggling So Deja was born, and you know, three years into her life, I'm out of her life. Wow. Uh, in between three months uh, after um, I got Holly pregnant, I cheated on her. Um, got another woman pregnant named Aubrey, one of my high school friends, and uh, she had Ethan. So I have a son and a daughter that I didn't raise. Um, three months apart, they've never met. Do they know about each other? Yeah, they do now. They do now. And I'll, I'll get into what the other side of Catherine's done for me as a, as a person and, and my relationships. Because, yeah. because today I, I'm building trust through, the, through them, through Deja and Ethan. And I'm doing the best I can. You know, I'm just showing up differently and I'm, and I'm consistent. And, you know, I, don't, I don't make any promises today, but I do, sh I do show up and I'm consistent. And I'm, I'm, I'm being a good friend. I know the father... They're going through their own struggles with it. You know, they. They're both 20? 22 years old? Ethan will be 22 in August. Deja just had her birthday, her 22nd birthday. Hmm. But I'm building them relationships today. And the yeah. other side academy taught me that. So, so what? Tw 20 yeah. years, 20 years, right? Um, 2004, first time I used heroin. Immediately after that, I lose my business everything I lose my daughter I lose Holly I lose um, I didn't even take accountability for Ethan until he was seven you know I got a DNA test in jail when when I finally realized it was mine I just wanted to push that away too I didn't want to take responsibility for anything once I did heroin it consumed me uh, there was nothing out there was nothing more important in my life other than that that drug mm. and so for 20 years I was in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out of jail. I've been to jail 52 times. I've been to the state prison three times, totaling nine years on the inside. And then nine of them years have been spent trying to figure it out. 
usually getting out of jail and going right back to, to be totally frank and honest with yeah. you. Yeah. So how did you find out about the other side academy? So yeah, it was a, it was definitely a godsend. So I mentioned I'm, I'm a spiritual person. Mm -hmm. And so when I get locked up, I usually try to focus on positive things and, and try to do the best I can as far as getting my mind right and, and things like that. And, um, I went to church one day and my good mentor, Val Parrish, one of the leaders in the church at that time, I kept seeing him in and out, going in and out, and became my really good friend. He dropped me a brochure of the Other Side Academy, and I'm like, he's like, you should really take a look at this. I take, I take the flyer back to my cell, right, and I look at it, and I'm like, two and a half years, yeah, right. I'm not gonna do something with two and a half years. That's just where my mindset was. So I throw it in my locker, shut the thing, throw it. About two weeks later, I'm having a conversation with my grandma, who's my mentor and my rock at the time. And uh, she's like, you need to do this thing. Avid Air Force, right? She, and she's hearing that the other side academy is like boot camp, like behavior boot camp. And that's exactly what it is. And uh, she's like, if it's anything like boot camp, you need to do it. <laughs> uh. And so how can you not listen to grandma, right? So uh. I pull the brochure back out uh. and I start reading it and something triggers. Something sets off in my heart and in my mind. And I start praying about it. And I start really, really, really taking a look at it and what I'm doing with my life because this is the 52nd time I'm in jail, going back for about 15 years. Oh. I'm looking at 15 years going back to prison. I'd still be in prison today if I wasn't talking to you right now. Wow. And the other side academy gave me an opportunity that I don't think anybody else did. Wow. So I read that brochure. I looked it over. I reached out, wrote the letter, because that's how you get to the other side of town. You either write a letter or sit on our bench. And so I wrote the letter and they, they came and interviewed me. And they saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Wow. So you get into the other side academy and was grandma right? Yeah, grandma was 100% uh, right. The other side academy has been uh, an extremely great blessing for me. Um, the fact that she was able to know that, that it was a place that I needed to go, was be, it's beyond me. I don't know how she knew that. Um, when I started doing the research about it, she, she was insistent on um, explaining to me that I needed to do something different. I didn't know what that looked like, but yeah. once I got to the Other Side Academy, it was, it, was, it, was, it was hard at first. It was really hard at first. What was hard about being at the Academy? I, I've just lived a life of this code that was incorrect, right? And so when I get to the Other Side Academy, they're asking me to do things that are just foreign to me. Oh. Be an honest person, hold my brother accountable, be transparent with my feelings. Um, them types of things were hard for me, yeah. extremely hard for me. Because you, up until that point, hadn't done that. No, absolutely not. So it was, you know, anytime, anytime anything bad happened in my life, like we've talked before, um, you know, early in the story, I would stuff them feelings. I would just stuff, 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 and never be vulnerable about my feelings. I always was a coward and ran. And I never was had the opportunity to just kind of face the things that I needed to face. And so when you get to the Other Side Academy, they ask you to, you know, they say, pass your information, what happens throughout your day. And so what happens in your day, you're supposed to be totally vulnerable about it with the people that are ahead of you. So the leaders at the time, 
which were great leaders, but I just couldn't see it for what it was. I had this authority um, mindset where I, if, I, if you had any authority over me, I was against it. And so uh, it was really hard for me to be transparent and let my walls down with the people around me mm. until I built that trust. So how, long, how long did that take you? Wow. Uh, the first person I started to trust was a man named Russell Pearson. And my tribe leader at the time, he was in charge of 12 guys, that's a tribe leader. Mm -hmm. um, and I would go to him with all my information at the end of the day, and his name was John Labuti. And I started building a relationship with them, and they were very genuine about their leadership. So when they would ask me questions, they were, it, it almost seemed like they were a bigger brother type feeling. And so I just, I just attached to them two guys for the first year of my stay. Because I'm telling you, you're on every every part of your behavior is on radar there. So if you do something wrong, if you uh, say if because I've been a liar my whole life, if I come to the other side of the academy and I lie, I hear about it from the whole house. And so, so they're calling each other. You're calling each other out. And that's why it works. Is the is the feedback sessions that we yeah. we call it breakthrough groups. Uh -huh. And so on Tuesdays and Fridays we sit around and it's orchestrated. We us leaders orchestrate it to what what's important behavioral in the house. And, and what needs to be addressed and what issues need to be solved. So I'm getting put in with these leaders in the house and they're just tearing me apart. Yeah. And what I mean by that, they're, they're giving me feedback that I've never heard in my life. When I sat on the bench, Dave DeRocher gave me the feedback, but I didn't know what it looked like. I was like, I sat there and took the feedback from Dave DeRocher yeah. and I, was, I, I, I seriously told myself, nobody's ever talked to me that way yeah. in my whole life. And it, it resonated. Did it? It resonated. You didn't want to fight him back? You didn't want to like tell him where to go? He humbled me like a snap of the finger. He humbled uh, me quick because he, he knew exactly who I was uh, and he pinpointed all the behaviors that I've struggled uh, with my whole life. He said, this is who you are. This is what you struggle with. This is who you're going to be. And uh, he, just, he just pinpointed everything about me that was true. And so I was like, he walked away and I'm like, oh my gosh, who is this guy? Yeah. And what what have I gotten myself into? Too? Yeah, and that. So was your was your impression like, oh, this can be really good for me, or are you like, no, I oh, wanted to damn, run. I, I wanted to run. I gotta get out of here. I gotta go the other way. I wanted to run, just like I've done my whole life. So what kept what changed this time? Why? I why sat I sat on that bench for like seven hours. Most people only sit on the bench. We only keep students on the bench for a couple hours. But Dave knew who I was. He knew that I was a, a prison guy. He knew that I that I that I had this prideful uh, part about me. Huh. So he humbled me. He, I think he really sat me on that bench for that long because it needed to humble who I was. And so when you sit on the bench, you're, you're just kind of watching the action of the house, people coming and going from work. You're seeing the staff members move around. You're kind of seeing the conversations that are happening. Yeah. I'm a very observant person, yeah. so I'm taking this all in and I'm really interested. But what was really important was there was a, a list of beliefs in front of me. And there's 12 beliefs. Hmm. And on that beliefs was humility you know we practice these beliefs every day at the other side academy and I looked at humility and I'm like this guy just humbled me <laughs> and so I'm staring at this belief and I said you know what for that seven hours that was the one that stuck out to me that I wanted to interesting to have in my life was the humility and of course every all the other beliefs um, needed to be important in my life too because I didn't have any of them so I remember <clears throat> one of the first times I met Dave <clears throat> and for our listeners Dave Drocher is the executive director of other side academy and alan was there at the time when i when i got introduced and and i remember talking to alan and dave because they said you know you can't see your kids 
you can't even communicate with your kids. And like I got teary eyed because mm -hmm. I've got four kids and and I remember they, uh, yeah, well, Alan just said, he said, you know, they've people by being here they've proven that they don't they don't show love to their kids. They don't. It, I, I couldn't comprehend how devastating that would be not to be able to see your kids. You know what I mean? But you know, what was your what was your uh, Perception of that, you know what I mean, and that yeah. that being forced to be disconnected, even though I know there was there was trouble, from anyway. Yeah. But like, how did that how did that feel to you? So the what we mean by that when we ask the stu the potential student for the interview process, do you love your kids? That's one of the questions. Do you love your kids? And yeah. they say, Yeah, I love my kids. Yeah. Well, I would hate to see if you hated them what you would do to them because you've been a drug addict. You're in and out of prison. You're never there. The same thing I did to my kids, right? Yeah. Um, I never showed up in my kids' life. Well, Deja, I've, I've never shown up in her life, in and out of her life. Uh -huh. I'm just grateful that I got my life together and I'm in her life today. Yeah. It's a slow process, but it didn't really matter to me because I, needed, I knew that I needed to fix uh, everything about my life before I even entered into that kid yeah. relationship, right? Yeah. Um, but that was one of the stories I've told myself my whole life, and the shame that I put myself on was is, is that I wasn't there for my kids. I wasn't there for Deja. What do they think of me? What are they thinking? What's mom saying? Yeah. But all the stories were wrong, right? Because Holly, Holly really raised, she raised Deja to, to a T. Deja's such a beautiful, uh -huh. uh, successful young woman. And I think I mentioned at the end of our podcast last time that they were uh, experiencing with struggles, and I didn't mean struggles like I experienced with. What I meant by by the struggles were the struggles of them trying to trust me and allowing me to be in their life. Yeah. I can't even imagine what um, the things that they're thinking, and oh, this is just going to happen for a little while. Yeah. Um, but my son Ethan, he's forgiven me a hundred percent. But he's given me hard feedback, and guess where I learned yeah. to take that? Uh -huh. At the other side academy during them breakthrough groups. Yeah. For three years, I took them groups and. Uh, the first time I saw Ethan, he, he gave me some feedback that was pretty, pretty hard. And for anybody that's, you know, stuffs their shame and, and has been a coward their whole life, that feedback could have led you right back to the same behaviors. Sure. But instead, I took a look at it and I, and I embraced him and I said, you're right. That's exactly who I was. Wow. I, I wasn't there for you. I was a dishonest person. I chose drugs and, and the lifestyle over you. And... I didn't even say sorry because I don't have to say sorry today. I just have to prove to him that I'm a different person by action. Wow. And so we embraced that. It was at Grandma's funeral when, when he embraced me and said them things. And it was kind of, it was an empowering moment for me and him because we were able to take our relationship and start it from truth. I was in and out of, of Ethan's life. I went, I came into his life when he was seven. Then I came into his life when he was 11, was in his life for about two years, and I went back to prison. And so I could just imagine what he thought he was a grown kid by then I didn't recognize yeah. him at grandma's funeral how would a kid feel if you didn't yeah. their own father doesn't recognize him uh. and so he had some words to tell me and and I took it and um, we're building that relationship he lives in uh, Corpus, Corpus Christi Texas right now yeah. but we he's, he's 22. 22 so we text each other every day and talk once a week on the phone wow um, Deja and I are building a relationship too I she hasn't given me no hard feedback but I'm waiting for it yeah um, but she has said it's been really hard, yeah. uh, like during Father's Day and, and, and things. But I'm, I'm, my quality of life is 100% better with them in it. I'll tell you that much. So these lessons, I mean, I think just the feedback, I think um, 
on a personal level and also for our our company we've really tried to uh, look at feedback as a gift mm -hmm. and not argue it because that's that's my inclination when somebody gives me difficult feedback I want to justify why I did what I did and I just want to well yeah but I but this is what happened this is why I did it and everything and so I've it's been such a, a, a difficult lesson for us to learn both me personally and also as a company as we developed our culture which sounds like is, is very similar to what the other side of Co Academy uh, culture is but to look at feedback as a gift and to not justify it and just to validate and say thank you for the feedback yeah that's so. exactly how it works so we address each other on Tuesdays and Fridays the students do um, as leaders at the house now staff members colleagues we're all at the same level the the student can play or play the group with us what I mean by that is take us into a group and give us feedback because they all the way from executive di director Dave down to the brand new student we have that ability that trust to say hey you can play the group with me you can bring me feedback and we'll listen and we'll change it mm -hmm. if it's changeable right sure so we're gonna at least listen to it because that's what we're yeah. trying to teach them to be leaders is take feedback accept the feedback and change it don't fight the feedback because the first year I fought it I was prideful yeah something would be brought to me even if I got caught red-handed I'd be like no you're wrong just because that's who I was yeah so what what clicked for you you know you say that first year you're fighting it at the Academy you know what I mean what clicked for you to, to be like you know what actually I am gonna own this and I am gonna I'm gonna really absorb what this philosophy is in this way of living like what clicked <laughs> well number one I was I was there on a on a pretty heavy charge so it was easy for me to play the tape forward and say I don't want to go to prison the rest of my life yeah um, but what clicked was probably the sense of um, relationship building like in it, it takes about a year to kind of really fill it out and start building building a relationship with yourself I think was the most important I started loving myself after a year huh. So I really shame myself my whole life and that first year you're just really working on trying to just take feedback and, and, and learn the process and, and, accept and yourself, trust huh? people. And so I started, I started looking in the mirror and I was looking at somebody that was actually a decent person after a year. And so I, I embraced it. Mm -hmm. And once I started loving myself and became a mentor after a year, once I was able to start making it about somebody else and mentoring somebody else, getting them through the same things that I struggled with the first year, it was really easy for me to get past that selfish, like, um, self-worth thing, right? Because now I can make it about the next guy coming in and teach him how I got through a year and, and kind of guide them and, and be their guidepost or, or, or whatever you want to call it, right? So, such good stuff, man. So you're at that academy for three years? Two years, so two it's years. A, it was a two-year program yeah. at the time. Yeah. And I asked to stay a third year because at the end of my two years, I was making it about other people and I was not making it about me anymore. And so I really liked that. I really enjoyed doing that. And so um, falling, falling in love with myself and really loving the person that I'm becoming. And so I went into Dave's office and I asked him if I could stay a third year. I didn't have to be there a third year, but I wanted to stay a third year just because I loved who I was becoming. So as a third year, are you a student as a third year or is that when you okay so you're a third year student a lot of le life lessons as a third year student <laughs> really like what, what, like what? because at, at a third year student you're, you're you're starting to deal with entitlement um, because you've been there so long you you expect things and just because you're a student you're not above anybody 
but you've been there long enough, you start to feel that way. So there's a life lesson in that too, that everybody's equal. And the main objective for the other side academy is just saving lives. It's about the, the newest person in the house that's coming through the door and it's our responsibility to keep them there and to walk them through their, whatever they're struggling with, to keep them there and not go back to, to prison or potentially death. I, I love what you just said about um, the entitlement and just that we're all the same. I think that's so powerful. I mean, if I can only imagine how the world would be, you know, if we all just kind of didn't assume because we have more expertise or more money or whatever, mm -hmm. that we could just look at each other and just be like, well, hey, we're all, in this, we're all the same. Because we are, we're, just all, we're all just people yep. trying to figure this out. It's, it's, and, I, and I suffered from that entitlement. I thought yeah. I had stuff coming just because I was there longer. Yeah. And so. Um, Which makes sense. You put in a lot of time and energy and effort in two years. I mean, that's that's, it, that's it, a long it, period. It, it does make sense. And it, it started to make sense more so when I was asked to be a SIT, which is a staff in training after my third year. I started to realize why Dave and the leadership were so, and today we're still really hard on the third year students, more so than the newer students. Oh. Because they're expected to do good. It's not, we don't need to ask them. They're expected to do good. They're not yeah. supposed to be making a, like mistakes as they would if they sure. first came in. So that. So the level of expectations has risen. Absolutely. Far beyond what you've been used to. Absolutely. So you also have to rise to those expectations. Absolutely, and the feedback's even harder then. Huh. But you're able to receive it better and fix it. Interesting. So. Huh. Okay, so you stay a third year, and then you apply to be uh, SIP, so SIT, said? staff and SIT, training. Staff and training. So I had a couple different avenues to go. I was, you know, I had four or five different uh, goals that I wanted to obtain, and they were all goals that I've always chased in my past. So uh, to give you an idea what I'm talking about, I was going to go into construction. You know, because you had that background. I had the background, and this was my mindset still as a third year student, middle third year student, maybe towards the end was. I want to get into a job I can make a lot of money. What's wrong with that? Uh, I don't if know. I, what's, what, so that's I mean, exactly. I went into Dave's office. I said, "I want yeah. to go. I want to go make a lot of money." And yeah. He's like, "Did you just hear yourself?" Yeah. And I'm like, "You're going to do the exact same thing you've done your whole life. You're going to chase the shiny things. You're going to chase money, and eventually it's going to be women, cars, fast life again, and then you're down. You're going to fail." Wow. He's like. You need to think about what something that's, yeah, what, uh, what's, what builds purpose in your uh, life. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So at that, he hit that, he hit it right on the head. And so uh, I said, look, I'm going to give me another rotation, which, which is about three to four months. Yeah. I said, let me think about this. Yeah. Can I stay another, another rotation? He said, uh, absolutely. And he was all happy. Because he's like, yeah, I want you to get this right. Yeah. So I go up into my room and I'm, you know, spiritual guy, like I said before. Yeah pondering about this whole thing and it didn't make sense them four plans didn't make sense because all I was doing was chasing everything that I've always chased uh -huh. and it was really not about the it was just about the freedoms because I've been at the other side Academy for three years and I wanted to get on with my life yeah and so it was it was important that he planted that seed and said look I think you would be a good uh, staff in training I think you'd be a good staff member I think you would I think you need to make it about people and so that resonated. So I went to my room, prayed, pondered, and about two and a half months later, I get an answer. I'm sitting there and I'm like, I just start crying for so, and I'm by myself, you know, and I'm just crying and crying and crying. And I'm like, 
he's right. He is 100% right. That next morning, I walked down to his office and I said, can I, can I participate in the SIT program? Seems <laughs> <laughs> like I knew it. And he said, yeah. why? It was kind of like an uh, interview process. Yeah. He said, give me some reasons why. Yeah. And so I just told him what I just told you. Yeah. And it didn't make sense for me to chase the things that I've always chased because I knew I would fail. I knew I needed to keep people in my life and I knew I needed to make it about people. So my mantra every day is, in order to, to, to get value in my life or a purpose in my life, I have to give back the rest of my life because I've destroyed thousands of lives. And so I have to, have to, in order to balance them scales, I think by the time I die, if I balance them, and we'll, I'll ask God that day, but um, I have to give back the rest of my life in order to, to feel good about it, so. You know, my 13-year-old uh, my started listening to these podcasts and like, I can't wait for him to hear yours. There's so many nuggets of just important things like when you're saying, you know, you're at this point to graduate from the other side of academy and you're like, this is what I want to do. I want to go, I'm go make some money. You know what I mean? It's like the wisdom in that that Dave's saying to you, like, it's not about the money. And actually, you need to find purpose. You need to find what you're passionate about and it's purposeful. And those things will come. Mm -hmm. But it's like it's so, it's so hard to get those things right because especially all of us, you know, we want those things. We want you know, the pride that comes with whatever. And it's like, I think it's just so powerful. I'm so grateful you share. So tell me, you graduate uh, somewhere in there, we fitted you in a suit, and uh, and then, you know, uh, what, what happened next? What happened, uh, you know, you do your staff and training, and then, you know, so tell me about where you are today. So I wanna talk a little bit about Suited for Good, though, what you guys do for us, and it's a, a really empowering program that you guys offer because um, that was cool for me um, and the group of guys that I was able to come down here to Woodland Mills and, and Woolen Mills sorry, yeah, no and um, get fitted right uh -huh. and so suited for good is just a wonderful wonderful thing um, a lot of the people a lot of the students that come to the other side Academy probably never wore a, uh, a suit yeah. so when they come back and there's a call off or a graduation we call it um, they're in them suits and it's just it's the coolest thing ever to watch these guys' face and just the confidence building and um, when I was fitted here, I was treated like royalty. So, you know, I appreciate it. And that usually happens uh, close to your end of your two-year mark. Okay. So about 18, 19 months, you get fitted, you're yeah. suited for good. Yeah. Come down here and have the experience. So we yeah. appreciate that 100%. Um, the students appreciate it. Yeah, the students appreciate it. So I do, you're a stylish guy. I mean, obviously, we don't, we don't have an audio or a vis visual on this podcast, but you obviously are a stylish guy. So had you had a suit before? Had you already known how like oh, I, I'm I'm looking good today? You know what I mean? And and you know how because how you perform and how you act and everything else like when you look yourself in the mirror and you're like, damn. Yeah, I'm absolutely, absolutely. So so you'd I, already you'd already been there, right? I, I have been, but yeah. again in the you know in the lifestyle you're not dressing like that. But sure. there's been moments in my life yeah. going to church and uh, you know weddings and things like that. I've always yeah. I've always liked to dress up. Yeah. And so I, I never had that, you know, the non-experience of coming yeah. here. I knew what it felt like, and, I, yeah. and it was just nice to have a, a full suit that you guys provided. And it was, you know, I still have that suit in my closet, and I wear it often because good. it's so such a good fit. Good. Um, but it's cool to see. I think it's more cool to see when the when the younger student or the student that's been in the ghetto their whole life, yeah. or the student that's um, been in prison their whole life and never had an opportunity to dress up. Super cool, yeah. and we just love it as staff. We just watch that, and we just it melts our hearts. So <laughs> that's so great. Well, 
I've said it many times. I mean, the other side academy has been, it's just, it, the feeling is so mutual of just this, it feeds us, you know, it feeds us to be able to be a part of that transformation. And, you know, our student for good, I've said it many times, it's just, it's like the cherry on the top of what you've already done. Mm -hmm. All that hard work, all that internal transformation to have something that's kind of symbolic on the outside to represent, but that's where the work is. The two years, the three years of just, you know, breaking down what you knew and rebuilding from new from scratch. I mean, that's that's what I just think is the miracle of it all, and it's it's so cool. So okay, so tell me, um, tell me where you are now. Tell me where you are with so, so work the, and family, everything. Tell me. Tell yeah. Me so the SIT program was offered. Um, I I got hired two years ago. Um, my life has never been so great so good in my entire life um, my family my family life's great I have a couple brothers like I, I mentioned for early in the podcast mm -hmm. um, one's struggling he's on the streets now and he's struggling with addiction and then Michael's raising his family in, in Tooele mm -hmm. but there's been countless countless family members that have embraced me mm -hmm. um, that probably didn't want anything to do with me or didn't trust me around that have reached out and embraced who I am I'd, I've never had to say sorry to anybody because it's just action. Oh. And that's what we try to teach everybody at the Other Side Academy is, you know, you walk with your two feet and you show people that you've changed. And that will, that will make the biggest difference. You don't ever make promises because that's what we've done our whole life. We've made false promises and we never kept them. So don't make any promises. Just show up. Be consistent. Show up for your family. Be loving. Be passionate. Be caring. And it will just show. They'll just understand. They'll know. And so my family is 100% uh, good. I've, I've reached out to Corey a couple times trying to get him help, but he's not ready. Yeah. And that's, that's again, he has to travel his whole own True. path. And True. it's sad. It brings tears to my eyes every time I see him. But at the same time, he has to, he has to do this on yeah. his own. Um, as far as Deja and Ethan go, that's probably the most um, impactful part of my life today because I get to wake up every morning and not be in a prison cell and get to text him. <laughs> you know, I say I love you or, or good morning or yeah. good night and get a response. I know it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of work for that to, to heal yeah. itself, but that's probably the number one thing in my life right now. And then, of course, the Other Side Academy is just, I, I live there, I work there. Um, everything about my life consists and rotates around the Other Side Academy. Anything I'm asked to do, I'm happy to do it. Um, this type of thing coming here and sharing my story. I love doing that because I can I can send a message that something's possible to change somebody like me, a 20-year heroin addict that's been in prison most of his life and kicked his family to the curb can change. I've I've went through whole person change. I'm not that same person anymore. Oh, and man. it's uh my life is gosh, I owe it to the other side academy. I owe it to Dave Drosher because Dave Drosher is like a father figure to me. He's such a great man. I go to him with my personal endeavors. I go to him with my family stuff. I go to him with my financial stuff. Yeah. He went and helped me buy my first car, yeah. my dream car. I put that on my vision board and got it. Love it. My Harley, you know, all these things that, that I don't care about. It's just, I can lose in a, in a moment if yeah. I make a bad decision. But the Other Side Academy has really got me to a place where I can, I can get up every day and have, have a positive impact on the community. And it's just, it's just a wonderful thing. It's so inspirational, man. I'm telling you, like, this has been so amazing for me to be able to hear these stories firsthand. And, and yeah, I, I, the hope is that somebody can listen to your story and be like, yeah, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I can do this. I can 
I can do, my life can be different. And um, there's so much that you have experienced and gone through that's so damn difficult. And you've learned so much. You have so much to share and give. And you're doing it. And I just think it's, it's crazy commendable. And I'm honored to, to know you and to call you a friend. And, and I'm grateful you've come and shared your story with us. And Likewise, BJ. Yeah, man. So any, any other parting uh, words you, you'd like to share with our yeah, I guess, people I guess, who listen? I guess the, an important story I, I will end with is yeah. um, the same last night, the Other Side Academy always shows up in the community, right? We do all kinds of cool stuff. We help out the community. We help yeah. out the mayor. We help out the governor. We, we try to show up differently yeah. to show the world that change is possible. Yeah. And so one of the most empowering things that's happened in my life was last night. Uh, we go to the South Salt Lake Police Department and help out with their night against crime. This is the same police department that arrested me six years ago. Seriously? And now you're helping? Same group of guys. <laughs> and I can honestly tell you that I've, I've fought against this my whole life. Um, yeah. Uh, as far as telling myself a story that the cops were against me or I'm against the cops. And I, was, I had the opportunity last night to look at the chief in the eye and said, thank you, you saved my life. And he's one of my friends, you know, Lieutenant Anderson, uh, Chief Jack Carruth, they're my friends. We're a part of that group of, 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 of police officers in that organization. We always help them. So the other side academy shows up. I never t shared that with them prior uh, engagements that we showed up. But last night I had this premonition that I just needed to say it. And so I said it. And I said, I just need to thank you. And I got uh, Sergeant Leatham's card and he's going to reach out to me and we're going to try to do, he's going to pull the file and try to figure out the cops that arrested me. And we're going to get together for lunch and I'm going to shake their hands. <laughs> You're going to shake their hands and, and thank I'm gonna, you. I'm going to tell them thanks. Wow. If it wasn't for you and if it wasn't, wow. because we have a mindset that's totally opposite huh. before the Other Side Academy. And after the Other Side Academy, if you really do it right, wow. you start looking at people differently. Wow. And I'm bridging that gap between the way I used to think and the way I think now. And so I get to, I get to tell them, hey, I appreciate the work you're doing and thank you for holding me accountable. Amazing. Amazing, just the full circle of your story, the, the difficulties, the tragedies, the, I mean, just your upbringing and uh, so much you've overcome. And you know, you mentioned a few times about you know the age of uh, accountability, and, mm -hmm. and I just think so much of what you've overcome, you can still give your yourself a hard time because it's a you know I was accountable at nine or ten, but you know what like. I just think there's so much to learn. And when you're a kid, you know, you absorb so much thing and so many things from our parents, that even good parents, mm -hmm. you know, we teach our kids things that aren't right. And so I just, I just think your transformation, overcoming difficult things, and it's so inspiring. And I hope, I hope a lot of people get to hear this episode. Thank you're, you. You're amazing. Thank you, BJ. Okay, thanks, brother. Love you. Dude. Yeah, that was good. That was a good ending. I love that. Yeah, man. I love you too, dude. I'm so grateful for your story. Uh